I am so happy to see you. Thank you for being here today, braving the elements of the ice and the trees. You all are so brave. Thank you for being here. Um, great day ahead, as Mr. Stowe was just talking about. But before we get into the message today, I want us to pray for Mike and Melanie. Tomorrow is the big day. We're going to have twins tomorrow. Woo! <laughs> And I so hate I'm going to be in California, <laughs> but Stasha's going to be there. And I, Jen, are you going with Stasha? Is that what's happening? So they're going to be down there tomorrow, and they'll be the, the hands there that are there to pray and, and to believe the Lord. So can we pray quickly as these babies are going to be born tomorrow? Father, I thank you for life. We just sang a song, You Give Life, Lord. And spiritually, yes, but even physically, Lord, I thank you that tomorrow is going to be a blessed day of celebrating the life of these two boys who are coming uh, to be part of this world, to be part of abundant life, and of course, part of uh, the Leitner family, Lord, and, and the Hillman family, and all those who are involved. And uh, God, we are so grateful. We pray for the doctors and for those who will be attending. In the name of Jesus, Lord, we thank you for help. And of course, over mom too, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Oh, that's exciting. I mean, that's, that's church growth right there. Uh, our, I, I've said it before, you know, our nursery's getting kind of low, so um, thank you, Lightners. <laughs> thank you, Lightners. Um, we are starting a new series today. And this series is, uh, like Mr. Stowe was saying just a few moments ago, it's called Love Others to Wholeness. Of course, this year is about wholeness. This year is about how uh, the Lord can bring wholeness to us, but how we can provide wholeness to others. And that's only possible because of Jesus. You know, there's no other, I can't do enough on my own to make myself whole. Now, I can rest, I can... Um, take naps, I can eat right, right, Lisa? That's what she just was saying. Um, I can eat right, I can, you know, do all the right things, and yes, there's a part of me that, that has to, to participate, but, but truly only the Holy Spirit can bring me wholeness. Um, you know, I can eat right, but yet still be spiritually sick. Um, I can be spiritually healthy, but yet be physically not well. Um, I can be, I think our emotions are tied very closely to our spirit, but I can be physically healthy, but emotionally just a wreck, which affects my spirit. You know, it's just all these things. God wants us to be people of wholeness and to bring others to wholeness as well through, through the, the blood of Jesus and through the, uh, the power of the Holy Spirit. Well, if you want to turn to Mark chapter 2, we'll be here in just a moment. It's going to take us just a few minutes to get there. But I, I hit on this a little bit last week in our Vision Sunday, so we're going to expound the scripture this week uh, in Mark chapter 2, uh, just to, to look at some things there. But um, I'm not going to ask you to recite the memory verse necessarily, but how'd the memory verse go this week? Did anybody, you like were up to the challenge and you said, you know, I'm going to memorize scripture this year, the scripture where it says, uh, for I'm about to do something new, uh, see it has already begun, do you not see it? I will make a pathway through the wilderness. I will create rivers in the dry wasteland, Isaiah 43, 19. If I can do it, you can do it. 
And let me say this too about our memory verse. If you prefer learning in the New King James, do that. If you prefer learning in the King James or the NIV, uh, I just typically read out of the New Living Translation. Uh, but whatever version you are comfortable with learning and memorizing Scripture, this isn't about who can say it. We, we want to get as close to word for word as we can because we want to have that discipline. But um, learn it in uh, a version that you're comfortable for because we want to hide God's Word in our heart. Amen? So hopefully that's going well, and here in just a moment I'm going to share this week's memory verse to you, and uh, you'll see it, it's already in the bulletin actually. Today I want to talk about sacrifice. Are we really a fan of the word sacrifice? Am I a word of the fan, uh, am I a word of the, let me start over, am I a fan of the word sacrifice? Not really, at times I'm not, sometimes I am, but most of the time probably not. One of our core values here at Abundant Life is we love God and we commit to love others. That takes sacrifice. Yes, it does. <laughs> Ella Kate, I'm telling you, that girl's going to preach. It, it, we, it, it requires on our behalf, it requires sacrifice to love God because we have to lay down ourselves. We have to lay down our sinful desires. To love other people requires sacrifice. I have to maybe, you know, maybe I feel a certain way about something. I have to be able to give grace in a certain area. It's about sacrifice. We talk about it often. Well, in this particular series, our goal is to give biblical examples of people who allowed God to use them to make Jesus known and to bring healing and wholeness to others. Now, the memory verse this week, I want you to look at the screen with me, and I want you to say this with me, okay? You ready? Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, my child, your son, sins are forgiven. That's Mark 2, 5. Now, that seems like such an odd memory verse. Normally, we have these memory verses that you can, you know, just take with you wherever. You know what? You can take this with you wherever. And what we're going to look at today, and, and our focus is really the first part, seeing their faith, Jesus. There was something that Jesus saw in the faith of people that he honored and he did his work. So that's what we want to get into this week. So the, the point of my, these memory verses is that you will reflect back, hopefully, on the messages that we bring, at least the idea. I don't know about you, but sometimes I can't remember a particular message word for word, word, for word two months later. Sometimes a month later, you know, I'll have people come up to me. Remember two Sundays ago when you said, and I'm like, no, I don't remember. I said that. Yeah, I, I don't remember I said that. Um, but the idea is what we want to be able to remember to take these principles. So sacrifice. We all do it. As parents, we sacrifice for our kids, education, braces, their health care. It takes a lot of money, doesn't it, for parents? I mean, you know, it, it takes a lot of money to raise kids. As children, we may sacrifice for our aging parents. You know, there's, there's care that has to happen there. There's sacrifice of time that we have to give. You know, my mom's not here this morning, uh, first service, but she, she wouldn't mind me saying this because she wears it very well. My mom's beautiful. She turned 70 Wednesday. And it started, you know, I was like, man, I need to start spending more time with my mom. I mean, she's in great health. I'm not looking forward to, you know, go to heaven anytime soon. But, you know, there, there's, there's an awareness there that I need to sacrifice my, my busyness for her. Amen. amen. Yes. Yeah. Christian, are you listening? Your mom just really amen very loudly. <laughs> As a spouse, we have to sacrifice for the benefit of our spouse. As a friend, I mean, really, you want to go see a play? Can't we go crush things or shoot things? 
As a friend, we sacrifice for the sake of our friends. As co-workers, we have to sacrifice for our fellow co-workers. I mean, think about what it's like when, if you work in a department or whatever, think about what it's like when somebody takes a vacation. Who picks up the slack? Somebody's got to. So we sacrifice. It's something that we're used to doing. What does it look like to sacrifice something of ourselves for the spiritual well-being of another person to achieve wholeness? Sometimes frustration you haven't learned that lesson yet. You haven't learned that God is your provider yet. You know, so frustration. We'll get, we'll get frustrated at times. And what's interesting is there are people who get frustrated with us too because we haven't achieved what others think we should have achieved. But for a believer, what does it look like to sacrifice something of ourselves for the spiritual well-being of another person to achieve wholeness? Am I willing to take the time for another believer? Am I willing to be a patient person to bring someone along in their walk with the Lord? Am I willing to help them up whenever they stumble and fall? To sacrifice often means to put yourself out or to put yourself off. I didn't get that from the dictionary. I was just kind of thinking through this whole thing, and that just came to me. So if you want to debate that, that's fine. But just a thought that I had. To sacrifice often means to put yourself out, maybe out of the way, or, or to put yourself off. I have this dream. I want to own a 1960s or 70s muscle car one day. I got to pay for braces right now. I'm having to put myself off. You know, and I love you, Nathan. I'm just making a point here, okay? <laughs> There's things that we put off because we sacrifice for the well-being of another, of another, but how much more important would that be when it comes to spiritual matters? To be able to be a patient person who says, you know what, I know you've made a mistake again. I know that you've sinned again, but let's try it one more time. And to put yourself off or to put yourself out for the benefit of another. And here's what I've learned. As we do that in the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit, we're no longer putting ourselves off or putting ourselves out. It doesn't seem like it anyway, because God has instilled His grace within us. To help us to lead others. So we're in Mark chapter 2. I had you turn there. But let me set the scene before we get there. How many of you have ever been in a very large crowd of people? You ever been? I mean like a large crowd of people. Um, how many of you enjoy crowds? Of, I mean you love to be in a crowd of people. Anybody? Go ahead. Raise your hand, Dean. No. Does anybody enjoy being in a large crowd of people? Let me set the scene for you. It was 2012 and it was December, I'm going to say 6th through the 10th, somewhere right in there. It was back when we were doing the ARCA racing series. It may have been 2011. But uh, back when we were doing the series and we had some, uh, one of the race car owners bring us to New York. He, he just happened to hear my wife say, I want to go to New York at Christmas time. And he was walking by and they live in New York. And he said, so um, we were just doing our thing. And he pulled me aside and he said, hey, I heard your wife say she wants to come to New York. I was like, yeah, it's just, you know, something she's wanting to do. He said, well, uh, give me some dates. I've already got a hotel ready for you. I'm like, well, how do you know the date? He basically was insisting that we come to New York. So we got to go to New York, and it was at Christmas time. And so on our way in should have been our cue. Uh, this was the night that they were lighting the, uh, what's the big tree in New York called? Rockefeller, Rockefeller Center. And uh, this was the night that the president, President Obama, had come into New York. So we were in one of the long bridges that go under the water. Is that the Lincoln Tunnel? Yeah, we were in that. I bet we were in there for an hour. 
and there were cars all around, and you know, you're, you're getting that claustrophobic feeling, and so we finally get in. We can't go see the tree because of all the security that's there, and so the next morning, we wake up, and we go into town. Well, actually, we were only four. He put us up four blocks away from uh, Times Square, which was absolutely amazing, so we're able to go around the city. Uh, I think it was Wednesday night and Thursday, but then Friday came, and then Saturday came, and we were literally walking in a sea of people with, I mean, we were like this, and people were, touch, if you don't like touching people, don't go to New York at Christmas time. We were, sometimes we weren't even moving because we were just pressed up against people. Horrible, horrible. But the sights that we got to see at night of the beautiful city, I wouldn't want to live there, but the beautiful city that we got to see at night, it was absolutely gorgeous. Even though we couldn't move at times, ugh, People were touching us. It was beautiful. Capernaum was, a very, was in a very similar situation with the crowds of people on the day that Jesus came to town. There was a house that was so filled that there was no room for anybody else. So imagine that. You're in this house. I don't know what the weather was like, but a, a, a room that is full heats up really quickly. And, you know, bathing wasn't a huge thing. They didn't have indoor plumbing back then. I'm just setting the stage for you a little bit. People could not move around at all. Now, our, let me go back to New York for a moment. Our first reaction was this. What were we thinking? Let's just go back to the hotel. We can look out the window and we can see the pretty lights. But had we given up, we would have missed the beautiful scenes of the city at Christmas time. <clears throat> when we feel the pressures of busyness or crowds of people, we may be tempted to do the same. We may say things like, it's not God's timing it's not his will, or God has so many other prayer requests to answer, I'm not going to bother him with this one. I've heard folks say that. I've said that. We feel that pressure. We prayed for family members to come to Jesus for years. Nothing happens. We may pray, I'm sorry, we, we may have been persistent in our prayers early on, but over time, the persistence ended, whether it be for somebody else or even for ourselves. But the persistence has ended. I want to challenge you today to become persistent again, in your prayers, in loving people to wholeness, in receiving wholeness for yourself. So we're in Mark chapter 2. We're going to start in verse 1, and we're going to go down through verse 12, okay? It says, when Jesus returned to Capernaum, actually this is Capernaum, several days later, the news spread quickly that he was back home. Soon the house where he was staying was so packed with visitors that there was no more room, even outside the door. While he was preaching God's word to them, four men arrived carrying a paralyzed man on a map, and they couldn't bring him to Jesus because of the crowd. So they dug a hole through the roof above his head. Uh, then they lowered the man on his mat right down in front of Jesus. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralyzed man, My son, your childs are forgiven. Now we stopped here last week. Uh, we didn't continue reading. And we made the point that these were not, we, we've often taught in Sunday school, and I've even taught it this way myself, that these were the man's friends who brought him. Well, the Bible just said there were men who brought them. They were willing to put themselves out, so to speak. They were willing to go out of their way, take extra time, get dirty to dig a hole through the roof to bring this man to Jesus. Well, let's keep going here in verse 6. But some of the teachers of religious law who were sitting there thought to themselves, what is he saying? This is blasphemy. Now they're talking about what Jesus just said about your sins are forgiven. Only God can forgive sins. Jesus knew immediately what they were thinking. So he asked them, why do you question in your hearts? Is it easier to say that to the paralyzed man, your sins are forgiven or stand up, pick up your mat and walk? 
So I will prove to you that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then Jesus turned to the paralyzed man and said, Stand up, pick up your mat, and go home. And the man jumped up, grabbed his mat, and walked through the stunned onlookers. They were all amazed and praised God, exclaiming, We've never seen anything like this before. Amen. Amen. What a great story of men who were willing to put themselves out or maybe to put themselves off to bring someone else to Jesus. See, these guys could have been selfish. They could have been people who said, well, we want to see Jesus, so we're going to go take care of us. You know that, let me just warn you quickly, Sunday mornings can be that for believers. I go to church for myself. I need to be filled up, and that is true, absolutely. Come into this place, be filled, be encouraged, but at the same time, have the mindset of who can I, and this is, yeah, I guess this is a message of bringing the lost with you to church. Who can I pick up and take with me to meet Jesus? Now, it may not be a physical, abundant life church location, but who can you bring to the feet of Jesus that does not know him already? Well, let's look at these men's characteristics that caught Jesus' attention, the men who brought the paralyzed man, okay? First of all, these men who brought this paralyzed man to Jesus, they had an undaunted faith in Jesus. I love that word, undaunted. The words that we don't use a whole lot that sound really cool, I think I like them a lot, but undaunted. I mean, that just sounds like a superhero word almost. They were undaunted. Nothing was going to deter them from doing what they knew they needed to do, from knowing uh, their, their, their faith in Jesus and who he was. Now, here's the thing about the men. See, Jesus hadn't been around very long, but they had heard stories about him, and maybe they saw him in action. Either way, they knew that Jesus could heal. And the, so they said, well, here's a paralyzed guy. Jesus is in town. Let's see what happens. Let's take him. Jesus can heal. That's all we've heard. I, I'm really reading into this story, okay? So this is just an interpretation here. This is not what the Bible says. But I'm almost wondering even too as if it was one of those situations where they're like, well, let's, let's see if it's real. Let's see if it's true. Maybe they had seen it. Maybe they didn't. Either way, they were undaunted in seeing that Jesus could touch this man, their faith in Jesus. Only Jesus could answer the need for this miracle. No one else could make a lame man walk. Now, it's really cool. I don't know if you are keep up with a lot of news or medical stuff or whatever, but occasionally I'm flipping through channels or, you know, just hear about different things. But they are actually making an exoskeleton now for where paralyzed people can walk, which is kind of cool. It's a robot type of thing where you put a paralyzed person in and it somehow, I don't know how it works, but they're able to actually walk very robotic-like, but they're walking. I mean, science is amazing, isn't it? The minds of people. Brandon back there, you probably studied up on all this because you're into robotics and all that. I'm sure you've seen it. It's been a little while, but it's out there. While we have those, no one can physically make a man walk on his own, though. Only Jesus could do that, and especially at this time. Only Jesus could touch the physical and the spiritual. There were two things that Jesus was doing here. There was a wholeness that he was bringing this paralyzed man to. So these men persisted even though the crowd was too much. Let's go back to New York quickly. We would not have seen the beauty again of the city and of the lights had we not persisted. And it wasn't too bad at night. It was just during the day that it was like this, you know. Oddly enough, you would think it would be the opposite, but they persisted. 
They refused to let circumstances stop their pursuit of getting this man to Jesus. Now, maybe I'm talking about me here. I know I'm talking about me at times. But at times I allow fear to stop me from meeting Jesus and introducing him to others. Anybody else ever sense that? You, know, you, you feel yourself there? We allow fear to stop us from meeting Jesus ourselves and introducing him to others. Fear of losing a job, fear of rejection, fear of ridicule, fear of what others will think. But these men show persistent faith, an undaunted faith in Jesus that they were willing to do whatever it took to show Jesus, to show this man to Jesus. Verse 5, seeing their faith, Jesus. He saw their undaunted faith and he began to act upon that. Jesus saw the faith of those who brought the man to him. When the unsaved are at the threshold of a life decision, they may not have faith, but God sees your faith on their behalf. I want to say that again. When the unsaved are at the threshold of a life decision, they may not have faith at that moment, but God sees your faith on their behalf. That's powerful. That's a powerful truth because you think, well, how can someone who doesn't believe in God have faith in God? Well, you know, you bringing them to the feet of Jesus, God sees your faith, and He will act upon that, whether it be spiritually, physically, emotionally. Keep bringing the lost before Jesus. Just keep doing it. Don't stop. Keep bringing them before Jesus, whether it be in prayer or physically talking to them. Be undaunted in your faith in Jesus. Secondly, they had an irrepressible, it's another cool word, they had an irrepressible commitment to the man's deliverance. They were committed to their friend. I am committed to you. And I know that you're committed to, when I say committed to me and me being committed to you, your spiritual growth, your wholeness. I'm committed to that. I, I want to teach every Sunday that I can. I want every Wednesday opportunity to, you know, we have other gifts in this church of teaching. We have other gifts in this church of serving. While we serve, every opportunity that you have is to bring people to Jesus. No matter what it is, serving in the nursery safety team. Darren's taking care of us today. Everything makes available, makes a way for us to meet Jesus and to bring others to Jesus. They had an irrepressible commitment to this man's deliverance. I wrote down this question for me, but I'm going to ask it to you. Will you ask God to give you this heart? That you would have an irrepressible commitment for people's deliverance to bring them to wholeness? God, will you give me this heart? Maybe your friends and family are saved, but ask God to send someone your way who is not. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the unsaved person, My child, your sins are forgiven. These men knew the power of God, so they were able to act in faith. Church, know the power of God. When you know the power of God that saved you, that freed you, that set you free... It does make it a little easier to bring people to the feet of Jesus. Their knowledge of God led them to act and nothing would stop them. I'm not there yet. I want to be there to where nothing stops me. But their knowledge of God led them to act and nothing would stop them. 
Michael Youssef is a pastor um, doing a little bit of study, and, and I found this quote that he had here. He says this, Our knowledge of God is the ladder upon which faith climbs. Think about that for a moment. Our knowledge of God is the ladder on which faith climbs. The more we know about God, the more our faith in Him increases. See, these men, they knew a little bit about God. They were learning more about Jesus, and their faith was increasing. Know God. Be in the Word every single day. Pray every single day. Know God, and your faith will increase. Knowledge of God will lead to the truth. These men had a commitment to get the paralyzed man to Jesus that couldn't be stopped because they knew Jesus' power. Here's a couple things if you're taking notes. I want you to write down these two short one-liners. So I guess it would be two one-liners. It's just one-liners. Faith in Jesus honors God. So write that down if you're taking notes. Faith in Jesus honors God. Love for people moves God. Our faith in Jesus honors God. Love for people moves God. At least we see that here in this illustration. They brought the man before Jesus. Jesus, you often read where he had compassion on the people because often they were like sheep without a shepherd. And it moved Jesus to action to heal this man. Seeing their faith, Jesus, he acted. Notice that Jesus dealt with the man's spiritual condition first. He recognized this, that eternal life is more important than this physical life. But Jesus addressed both. Now, there's other places you'll read in Scripture where Jesus addressed the physical first, then he addressed the spiritual. But in this particular story, Jesus addressed the spiritual first, then the physical. I'm reminded of that as you face sickness, as you face all these, as we face all these different things in life, you know, how is my spirit? We had an instructor in Bible college. He would always ask, how is your soul, Mr. Henderson? Remember him, Doug? Mr. Henderson, how is your soul? Doug's like, yep, I remember him. He was a tough one. (laughs) How's your soul? And that, that question used to irritate me, but the older I'm getting and just more into ministry, the more I appreciate that question because it really is a deep question. How are your mind, your will, and your emotions? How's your soul doing? Are you trusting in Jesus? Are you believing Him for the impossible? Are you letting Him take your heavy burdens? There's a lot in that. How's your soul? Sorry for the memories it just brought back, Doug. The third point, bring people to the feet of Jesus. He will do the rest. It's what I love about God. He just says, bring them to me and let me do the rest. I, I tend to take on too much responsibility when it comes to the salvation of other people in my mind, maybe in my actions. I tend to take on too much responsibility. Was it a year ago, maybe two years ago? Um, I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, David, you do your job and let me do mine. (laughs) What a rebuke that was. That was a serious rebuke from the Lord. You do your job and let me do mine. Church, do your job. Just bring people to the feet of Jesus. Give an opportunity and then let him do the rest. 
Because he will. He promises that he will do that. Just as these men brought the paralyzed guy to Jesus and Jesus did the rest. He brought this guy to wholeness in a moment. The guy could walk and he was guaranteed eternal salvation in a moment of time. I pray that we can see those moment of time interactions too. Even if it's over the course of a time, bring people to Jesus, let him do the rest. We can't force anyone to accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. We can't convince anyone to see that he is truly God. We cannot change anyone's eternal destiny on our own. But we can make an opportunity for them to see Jesus. We can refuse to give up on people. We can have an undaunted faith and an irrepressible commitment to show people Jesus. Lord, will you give that to me? Lord, will you give that to abundant life? The cool, I just, let me let you in before I uh, close this out with this last little story. Um, some of you know, you know I'm going to California. Not all of you know why I'm going to California. Um, there's an opportunity that George Klein had, had called myself and John and Helen Jenkins and just a few other people from around the nation to come and to be missionary coaches. Now, what this means is I'm going to go learn how to coach missionaries who are about to go on the field, calling them up. Hey, Dean, uh, so you're getting ready to head to Zimbabwe, and how's your fundraising going? How are you doing? What, what, how can I help you in this process? How can I pray with you in this particular? How's your wife doing with all of this? You know, just basically being a coach in the process. It, it involves me making a phone call. So I'm going to find out who that missionary is this week, um, which is really cool. So it's going to take a little bit of my time to pick up this phone call. But because I'm investing in this missionary, he's going to be investing in who knows how many lives. You never know how big that footprint is going to be when you invest, invest in the life of one person. So that's why I'm going to California this week. I'll be back Friday, back on southern soil again. It'll be nice to be back, but there's a big eternal purpose. Are there things I can do here? Yeah, there's plenty of work to do. But I'm going to go. I'm going to be obedient to the Lord, and we'll see. We may not know what happens this side of heaven with all of this. So the cool thing is I get to help Christian. I get to help Dean and Rachel on their process as their work goes on as well. Amen. Let me tell you this final story here. There's a guy named Joseph Webster who was a musician. He suffered from an emotional depression. By the way, that happens with people who are artsy and, you know, you'll, you'll tend to see that. People who are heart, artsy and true musicians, you know, um, I'm, I can play a guitar, but I'm not a musician. Um, but true musicians, just because left brain, right brain, all that kind of stuff. You'll find that musicians can suffer from emotional depression. Now, it wasn't a clinical, it wasn't a chemical depression. It was just an emotional thing. He was discouraged. He would be down at times and his faith was often low. Well, in one of those times, there was a man who was named Fillmore Bennett, and he um, visited this guy. Fillmore Bennett was a guy who was known for writing hymns, and he prayed for his friend often. He wanted to lift him up out of the depression. He wanted him to see Jesus. So in prayer, he was bringing this guy, Bennett, or Webster, he was bringing him to Jesus through prayer. Well, he went and visited him. 
and just to check on him one day, and he said, you know, Joseph Webster, how are you doing? And uh, Webster told Bennett, he says, well, one day I'll be okay in the by and by. And so, you, for those of you who are very familiar with hymns, you know what song this is going to be. And so, this, wrote, this led uh, Fillmore Bennett to write this hymn, There is a land that is fairer than day, and by faith we can see it afar. For the Father waits over the way to prepare us a dwelling place there. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. In the sweet by and by, we shall meet on that beautiful shore. We shall sing on that beautiful shore the melodious songs of the blessed. That's an interesting little part right there. We will sing the melodious songs of the blessed. Now, when we're often in depression and not in wholeness, we don't see ourselves as blessed. But this is a song of faith. And our spirits shall sorrow no more, not a sight for the blessing of rest. To our bountiful Father above, we will offer our tribute of praise. For the glorious gift of his love and the blessing that hallow our days. That's here. This hymn brought, according to the story, brought Webster out of the depression. Now I'm not suggesting that we live a mindset that's so discontent with this present life that we're not able to function here on earth. Um, What's the old saying? Being so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good. We need to be heavenly minded though. There's something about living with a heavenly mindset that compels believers to bring the lost to Jesus. It's okay to think about the sweet by and by. Even in the moments of depression, even in the moments of not being a whole person, it's okay. But not to dwell there in the sense of, well, when I get there, it will be better. Are we going to suffer here on earth? Absolutely. We are. You will. There'll, there'll, be, there'll be different ailments that you will have. Isn't that encouraging? There will be um, setbacks that you have in life. There'll even be persecution that you will face because of your faith. But I want to focus in on heaven to recognize that there's a greater purpose than just this life. And when I can face that mindset of heaven and the fact I want to take people with me, or it helps me to focus on the fact that I want to take people with me. You look around your office when you go into work, or you look around your neighborhood, or even in your own home, you're going to see people who are not whole. Let me go back to last week. You may look in the mirror and see people who are not whole, but have a mindset of the place that God has prepared for you. And that there is purpose here in this life. And that is to you yourself go before the feet of Jesus every day and to bring others to the feet of Jesus every single day. This life is temporary and not everyone will make it to heaven. Lisa, you can come on up. We're going to close out here. Lisa's going to come and just play some Music, I want us just to take an opportunity to kind of reflect on this for a moment. Who, are the, who is the person? Who are the people that maybe the Holy Spirit has dropped into your heart uh, as you sit here this morning? Um, what are some things maybe even God is asking you to deal with in your own life um, when it comes to being a person of wholeness? I want us to stay engaged, but stand. And when, as soon as you stand, I just want your eyes to close for a moment. So can we all stand this morning?
Stay engaged in this moment. And I'm going to read this scripture to you while your eyes are closed. And it's out of Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. That's talking about areas of, not, of unwholeness. But especially the sin that so easily trips us up. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, disregarding its shame. And now he is seated in the place of honor beside of God's throne. What an amazing promise that is for us. As we bring people to the feet of Jesus who is seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession for us. That tells me that that prayer that Jesus is offering has power because he's right beside the Father. And so I'm bringing people to a place of spiritual power. I'm just taking them to the feet of Jesus. So I want to encourage you this week, as you go through the week, look around you. Look up to heaven and love others to wholeness. Be willing to sacrifice your life. Be willing to sacrifice your time, your talents, your treasure, whatever it is. Be willing to sacrifice this week. I want to ask you before we dismiss, if you do not know Jesus as your personal Savior, I want to give you an opportunity for that today. You've never made a commitment. If you've never made that commitment, can you just slip up your hand and say, hey, I need to pray that Jesus would be Lord of my life. Is there anybody here? This week, be willing to ask folks, do you know Jesus? Can I introduce you to him? Amen? Amen. I'm on that push again. I, I need to be on it all the time. But I'm on that push again where, Lord, I need to see somebody come to Jesus soon. I want to hear the stories about people who are coming to Jesus, coming to wholeness. Amen? Let's go do it this week. Well, Mr. and Ms. Stowe are going to pray for uh, us as we are dismissed. If you need areas of wholeness in your life and you want them to agree in prayer, come down front as we dismiss and um, they'll be willing to pray for you guys. If you're wanting to go to the retreat, I need you to just let me have your name on the way out so I can write that down so we can get you registered. That's going to be a great time as well. So Mr. and Ms. Stowe, will you dismiss us?